to Journal Club. You're here today with Dr. Kristen Summer, Emma Shipton, who is currently in the middle of a PhD, and Dr. Laura Gange. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. How you doing? So good. Very, Very happy well. to be here. Very happy to join my first one. It sounds sounds yeah. like fun. I can't like I mean it's been a while since I did all this <laughs> proper science stuff, you know? So I'm like, yes. <laughs> it is time to stretch those academic muscles. Welcome back into the fold. Um, okay, so the article we're talking about today is do more hours in centre-based care cause more externalising problems across national replication study? Now, uh, we have French accents and Australian accents on here, but neither of those countries were covered in this article. So this looked at um, seven studies from one from Germany, one from Netherlands, one from Norway, two from Canada, and two from the US. Um, and basically it was trying to disentangle the contradictory findings over the last couple of decades that have found, some suggest that higher hours in daycare um, lead to more externalizing problems. So that's things like aggression. Um, while some studies find that there is no difference and some studies find that higher hours in daycare actually lead to less externalizing problems and less aggression. Um, <clears throat> so that was the goal of this paper. And they had a bunch of super dense um, statistical like jargon and things in there, which we all found really hard to read. Um, I, I am very good at random effects analyses and it was hard for me to read. Um, but essentially what they found overall from both their um, individual analyses of all of these studies, plus a meta-analysis, which takes all of those studies findings together to figure out what they all center on as a finding, was that uh, center-based care, or hours in center-based care, does not influence children's externalizing problems, which is really fucking great to hear because I felt awful reading this introduction. How did you guys feel? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I think I have a one-year-old and even reading this title, I was just like, <laughs> I know I feel bad about it. <laughs> I, feel, right? I feel bad. Yeah. And I, and I think it's yeah. a, a common thing. Like it's a common thing I hear from a lot of parents. If it's the right thing to kind of do, not that you have a choice, mm -hmm. you know, right? Yeah. That's why most children are in childcare. Yes. So what was really interesting, so I am a mother of a child who's in 40 hours of care a week and has been for a year and she is three now. Um, so one, I hated reading this introduction, but also I get it. This is where the science is. Um, it's very confusing. Um, it's very uh, contradictory, but I think this study went a decent way to starting to um, clarifying some of the misconceptions. It's not perfect. Um, but it definitely went some way to clarifying misconceptions. So why don't we start with the introduction and talking about it. Um, what was the things that piqued your interest in the introduction, things that you were surprised by, shocked by? <laughs> Let me know what you think. So um, I, I have lots of feelings. First of all, it took me a long time to understand what this was about. I was like center-based. Mm -hmm. Wait, what are we talking about? Are we talking about adults? Are we, you know, just without any kind of, it's like, yeah. wait, center-based what? What does that mean? Um, 
But I think my, and, and this is one of the issues I have throughout, it's like, what are behavior problems? And mm-hmm. why are there problems? And is it really how we describe well-being? Um, so this is, I think, and I read, I mean, I wish I had had time to go through the studies that they actually talked, uh, because I wanted, there was lots of things that I wanted more of and see, you know, what, Mm -hmm. how they sampled and, um, what they separate, what they separated. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was the main thing where I was like, I wish they would have talked about that, at least in the discussion where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. in this paper, we decided that this is, a a, um, how we represent well-being of children because in my field of sleep coaching nowadays, I'm like, your problem's showing, you know, your problem's hit, your, your child's hitting, your child's biting. Well, good, because at least you know what's going on, you know, and you can do something about it. Like, is that the problem? Or I don't know, maybe I'm going, but originally I was like, wait. And, and that's the first thing I jumped on to kind of go into methodology and see what were the problems which were hitting, biting, kicking other children, fighting more. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit, I'm not sure what I feel about it. And and what you were saying before about, you know, how you feel about hearing how dangerous it can be. I think for me, the narrative is more, do you have the choice where you put your child rather than the number of hours? Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the big things they point out in here is that quality does seem to make an impact. I don't think they measured quality of the center in this study, but you do point out something really interesting, and that's the glaring lack of internalizing um, problems being evaluated here. So they exclusively talk about and evaluate um, externalizing problems. So that's things that the child outwardly shows. And the problem with this, I think, is that that's not all that children will garner from childcare. They will garner positives, they will garner internalizing challenges, and it will vary based on the type of child, the type of home environment, on a whole bunch of different things. But the externalizing problems kind of feel like, you know, these studies were motivated, and the studies they're talking about started back in the 90s when we still really had this focus on children being seen and not heard and being perfectly well behaved. And we now have a much better understanding of what externalizing problems are. Um, and they're generally speaking to a lack of connection, um, a lack of self-regulation capacity, a lack of co-regulation. And this does go hand in hand with things like um, childcare quality. Um, when you have a higher uh, teacher-student, higher teacher, yeah, higher teacher-student ratio. Ratio, yeah. Um, this is what I wanted to know children, about too. I feel like yeah. we don't know because for sure in Norway and in Germany, yes. I would think that the ratios, it, it's higher, there's more teachers, so, yeah. So they have it in the table, hold on, I will share my screen like I did last week. Yeah, so there okay. is in the table, but it's not great because it's averaged across, yeah. um, the, like it, it's averaged across the entire first five years and we know that babies in the baby room have a oh, very different okay. yeah. ratio. Yeah, I'm just scrolling down, hold on, um, here it is. Um, table one, yeah. Sorry. I think it's table one. I'm just trying to like rotate it. There we go. That, uh, not all of them, but sure. Let's rotate all of them and that's fine. Yeah, so you'll see in table one, it will tell you, yeah. yeah. 
So the ratio is 17.72 oh. children to teachers in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, 17.51 teacher to child in Germany in 1993, but eight in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, ratio in the Netherlands is 15.5 in 2014. In Norway, it's six. It's six point two one in ninety eight, um, and then in the United States, it's twenty seven in ninety five and thirteen in twenty fourteen. So it looks like a lot of them are actually progressing towards much smaller ratios. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem here is that they aren't distinguishing the ratio by age because we do know that in yep. the baby room there are significantly more teachers to babies because they need more contact. But in a four or five year old classroom. They need significantly less. It's like a teacher to student ratio in schools at that point. Like Almost, children don't yeah. need as much physical contact. Um, so we are left a little bit wanting mm -hmm. um, in terms of specificity mm -hmm. of figures, I think. But I think you are talking about something that is really important. I think, yeah. It go? yeah, no, it's just those two. Yeah, so, I mean, it tells you there is a lot of details about the studies that they took. Um, so it's great that they give you some details, but it's still quite an overarching view rather than drilling down into details, which is fair. Otherwise, this paper would have been significantly longer and it's probably significantly <laughs> long. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's almost always aggressiveness, mm -hmm. behavioral problems, mm -hmm. or externalizing behaviors. Um, one of the really interesting things that I was thinking about. So, um, they were talking about, in, in the introduction, they were talking about how children with more centre-based care, like more hours in centre-based care, so that's childcare, um, were rated by teachers as more aggressive. And I was like, could that not be like a convenience or frequency principle? They see those children more every week, therefore they see more of the aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of like the, the mm -hmm. parents see some of it at home, the teachers see some of it at school, when it's a child that only goes half a week. Like, isn't there going to be variation there just in the fact that it's, like, like a factor of who spends more time with the, like, child um, mm -hmm. and who's rating? I don't know. Um, one more thing about the details, and I, I would doubt that they would have included that in the original studies, mm -hmm. but I feel like the, um, the time of the day when they start daycare is also extremely variable. And when you know mm -hmm. that, for example, in children, sorry, the sleep side comes out here, but in children, a lot of the time, obstructive sleep apnea will show more like ADHD symptoms. So like a lot mm -hmm. of outbursts, a lot of emotions. Um, yeah. If there are like, I know that, for example, in Japan, where I'm right now, my friend has her child in a, in a kind of a public place and she can choose if she puts her child at seven. So that's the earliest and she mm -hmm. can decide but she decides 9 a.m. I'm pretty sure the behavior would be very different for a child who comes, you know, at 7 a.m. right out of the bed, maybe woken up because, you know, mm -hmm. and a child who was left to sleep. Like, I also yeah. feel like, and so they just said the amount of time at daycare, but not really what times exactly. And mm -hmm. I, I also feel like, same, like, I know that, I talk a lot about with moms about, you know, play groups that are always for me, I feel like they're always scheduled at nap times. And I'm like, how does that yeah. make any sense? Like, you know, lunchtime. It's like, no, this is an adult time. Like your kid needs to sleep at that time or something. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes daycares do that, too. It's like, oh, you have to pick up your child. Yeah. And then they fall asleep in the car because that was their nap time or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I feel like this was another thing where I was thinking, how would that affect the aggressiveness of the child, you mm-hmm. know? Mm. And that's really valid, I guess, on the end of the day as well. Like I could just imagine, you know, at five o'clock when you have a real ratty child, um, mm-hmm. yeah, depending what, what time they're being picked up as well. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's why this study is actually doing a really good job because what they're doing with their fixed effects models is they're looking simply at the child's, um, they're comparing the child across time. So um, when the child had X number of hours in daycare, this is how they were behaving. And then um, when they had X number of hours later, this is how they were behaving. Now, the one thing that really confused me about how they were going to do that fixed effects model was like, wasn't that going to correlate with age? I'm trying to find the results section. I don't know why I'm looking in here. I should be looking. Let's look on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, how they were going to, like, deal with the fact that there was going to be an age correlation. Hey, Lisa. Dr. Lisa has just joined us. Um, so, yeah, I was trying to figure out how, because they don't really talk about age anywhere in the results. Um, and if they're talking about shifts in um, within participant shifts um, from, say, when your child enters daycare at, my daughter entered at 11 months and she was going two days a week and she was only going for like six hours a day, so that's 12 hours a week. And now at um, three, she goes 40 hours a week. Um, the externalising behaviours will shift. I mean, we know they will as children get older into toddlerhood years, they get a little bit more aggressive, mm-hmm. just a touch. Um, so I was trying to figure out how they were going to remove the effect of age because it's the same thing. I don't know if they fully can mm. Um, mm. control for the effect of age, but it wasn't. I was left wanting there because they didn't really describe it. Um, but their yeah, participant fixed effects model did reduce um, the effect of things like children who were woken up to head to childcare or who were there later in the day when witching hour happened. Um, so I think it's good that they did that, but there's still a little bit of um, stuff that's missing. Although given that it's non-significant for the most part, that kids aren't affected by long hours in daycare, according to these seven studies, which is over 10,000 participants. It's pretty good. Mm. Um, it's quite good, yeah. yeah. But again, I think what I was saying earlier, I feel like they could have sampled it. They could have said from this, you know, we will discuss the results by age range. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then see if that also plays a role. And again, that's a crazy amount of data, by the way. Like, I'm really amazed. And I'm like, I would have not want to do this study. <laughs> like, seriously. Well, they didn't, they didn't collect it. I think it's all legacy yeah. data sets. Yeah, but, but still, that's a lot of data to analyze. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's really interesting. And I found it a little bit confusing because they didn't really talk too much about the age ranges, unless I missed them. The mm. age ranges of the specific studies. Um, did they talk about them? In no, the first they table, really they describe, I mean, they describe which study has what age range, but I feel Do like they? that's it. Yeah, in the first I table, yeah. This one, well, it just kind of says zero to two years is yeah. 24% in 2005. But is that just, is that General. the country averages or is that the, like, hold on, let me see, B, where are we? Rates do not reveal the information or unlicensed arrangements. 
okay informal that doesn't well, tell us anything i think it's age, a country in every single study they mention what age they're using like in the little details of each study oh, they're like, they? like this in this the germany one they say 547 children's and oh, yeah. they were 43 months old. There they are. I don't know what, yeah. what does wave mean, by the way. Is that a, is that a so common... wave? Yeah. So wave means what? Um, so waves are data collection waves. So at wave oh, one, oh. that's when they collected yes. the baseline measures. At wave two was when they were 36 months old. That's when they collected those. Okay. It's a like a longitudinal study kind of terminology. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have the any grade study kids were 24 to 48 months old so they were two to four in the quebec study they were um five months to four years so this one's a little bit younger than the other one um there's the rest of them let's keep scrolling sorry friends um in the big study they were um, 43 months old uh, and 69 69 month old which is five and a half or almost six okay and then in the Netherlands study so that was the Germany study the Netherlands study they are age two and three mm -hmm. and four two mm -hmm. to four um the Norwegian study they were 24 to 48 mm -hmm. um the US study was 24 to 54 which is four and a half and then they were 35 to 58 in the other US study so yeah. they're generally all around that preschool age range um and there isn't a lot about babies like there isn't many studies that actually looked at babies so it really is more in that toddlerhood era yeah yeah, I'm really surprised by that, especially in the American studies as well, because obviously yeah. American families have to get their kids into care early because they right. don't have parental leave. So, well, mm. you would think that, but if these are the measures, like, so in Table 1, the enrolment in licensed childcare percentage, I don't know if that's for the study or if it's for the country, mm. but in the study, this says that only 24% of zero to two-year-olds in Canada were enrolled in 2005. So if we go to the US ones, 27% of two, zero to two year olds were enrolled in 2006 um, and 25% in 2010. Mm. And that is for all of the US studies. And what does so, licensed childcare mean? You know, like so in- That's a formal childcare. So not a mm. family daycare, not like a playgroup kind of thing. So that's like a, formal childcare center um but would you have because again i don't know about america but in yep. japan we have really different status of like mm -hmm. is it government recognized and then you have the mm. same one or private and then this is not going to be considered official like is that the kind of mm. thing because uh, yeah, no. i'm really doubtful about this enrollment that's a great so, question and I do not know. In one yeah. of the studies that they talked about earlier on, I think a study mm -hmm. from 1986, the um, mm -hmm. treatment group um, I think included being care, cared for by, by their father, which I thought was... Yeah. <laughs> 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 I did think it was funny. What I also found was funny was the way they were setting this study up. 
um, because they were talking about the history of study of childcare and externalizing problems. And they're like, the whole reason that people were motivated to do this was because all of a sudden mothers were going back into the workforce and yeah. into non-maternal care. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, non like maternal only care is the new thing. Like over the last 200 years, maternal care, solitary maternal care is the new thing that we should be worried about because it's burning out mothers and mm -hmm. it's like like children aren't getting as much contact and engagement because their mothers are burned out and this is like oh we're moving away from non-maternal care i'm just like wait what like yes <laughs> yeah oh God, that was a red flag when i read that i was like oh hello <laughs> like, this whole field was, was a little bit concerning unpacking yeah that, that could have been done but don't, uh, don't you have this trigger like every single time I read an article about children like there's always something where I'll be like mm, you were almost there like don't say that <laughs> oh yeah kind of like when I was reading that sleep training article that I'm pretty sure I talked about on TikTok for an hour and it said like they wrote in it that waking in the night was a coercive behavior trap set by babies and I was just like oh fuck. <laughs> good good <laughs> anyway so like I get it. When you write a paper like this, you have to focus on what you're doing. So I get why they wrote it. I yeah. just, it was so ironic to be like, oh, maternal solitary care is the norm that we're meant to be worried about moving away from. But it's not because yeah. village-based care, alloparenting, multiple attachment relationships is the standard. So when we looked at, um, so there was a couple of theories about, like that they talked about, ooh, my Siri is listening to me now. Um, they talked about a couple of theories. I want to talk about them because I found them really interesting. So theoretical explanations for risk of center care. So the first theory was um, attachment, which they quickly refuted, but they said that, so there was one theory that said prominent early explanations focused on disruptions of parent-child attachment, either due directly to the separation anxiety experienced by the child or due more indirectly to the way time apart could undermine parents' abilities to sensitively respond to children's attachment needs. I found this one really interesting because this is very, very prevalent in what I'm sure everyone talks to all of us about on social media. They're so worried that sending their child to daycare will ruin their attachment. What do we want to say about this? For me, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning. It's like, I wish more parents could choose the place they put their children, that they could, you know, meet the teachers, like the teachers, trust the teachers so that the teacher can be an attachment figure and that we wouldn't be so scared to have more attachment figure per family, as you were saying, um, with like this village kind of care. Um, and so... I, I don't know. I feel like for me, if my daughter is attached to someone else that will provide her other things, um, it will strengthen my relationship with her other, like, instead of like weakening it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Emma, Lisa, do you guys have any extra thoughts? Yeah, so that's how I view um, childcare as well. So my um, toddler is in full-time childcare while I'm on mat, mat leave with my youngest. Um, and yeah, I welcome those relationships that she has with her educators. They're absolutely beautiful for her and it's fantastic mm -hmm. and she's learning so much from them. And I see that as the village that we've all been missing. Um, and I love what you just said, Kristen, about that isolated maternal um, care because 
I couldn't believe how much I felt isolated when I was when it was just me and her before my mm-hmm. son was born. I, I, I'm somebody who loves my alone time, but over the course of that maternity leave, I realized, no, this this doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> so now, mm-hmm. now that she's out in the world and building these beautiful relationships with her educators and other other kids at the at the daycare, I, for me personally, I love that. I think it's fantastic. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, it's a it's sort of that paid village, you know, that we, we all have these days. We don't necessarily have our grandparents around or our sisters or our brothers around or other people, you know, related or blood related or around us. So we sort of have to pay for that village and that's what I see the daycare as for me. So um, I'm always nervous about reading these childcare studies mm-hmm. because they often yeah. don't reflect the situation that I'm in. Um, Whereas yeah. this one is a little bit more reassuring, um, sort of finding that um, there's not necessarily those behavioural issues. But I think this is, I think to me, I haven't read a lot into this, but I imagine that this is still a new field and that we need to do a lot more work in this area. But I think this comes down to, with parents these days, a lot of us, and I think a lot of that insecurity from social media and other places that we're trying to optimise our kids and trying to find the absolute best place for them. Um, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, not all of us have that capacity to optimise in that way. A lot of us are working. A lot of us have financial constraints and other things going on, other kids. So there's no perfect solution for every family either. Um, So in my case, having my daughter in for five days a week perfect perfect for us but for another family stay at home mum with all her kids at home would be perfect so it's you know it's really hard to I I find it challenging to look at these studies and think um uh, and think oh you know this is the guideline for all kids because um that's not possible for every situation um I think I've gone on a tangent then but village love it (laughs) yeah Look, I I think that the thing. What am I trying to say? Yeah, I'd had I had an idea, and now I can't remember what it is. Oh, that's right. It talks about the fact that, um, and this has been refuted. So this theory has been refuted. We find that it is not the case that that childcare attendance does not affect the parenting attachment relationship. And you said that you think this field might be a little bit new. Unfortunately, Lisa, it's not. It's from like the eighties. Um, is when it started being investigated. There you go. Um, so it's that. actually not a new field, but it is an incredibly hard topic to mm. hammer down. There are so many extraneous variables, which is what this study was kind of pointing out as its point of difference, its novelty, was that it was doing within participant evaluations on a very large scale, um, which meant that there wasn't intervening factors of things like um, family circumstances, parental mental health, because one of the things that I know from my experience with my child is that my sensitivity to her needs is greater when she is in care because I get rest to then when she's at home with me to connect with her. Now, there's a lot of other things um, that go into this. We know that for some children that are at risk, being in daycare is incredibly important because that's when they get those stable routines, those loving Um, and caring relationships and it's the only time that they get them so it can actually um, this is probably why it gets very contradictory as well is because when you're trying to aggregate across multiple different populations 
um, you're going to get either no results or you're going to get confusing results. And that's what this paper actually does say that like um, these studies aren't representative of entire populations. Um, but yeah, we do know that just like things like TV, um, daycare can be protective for children in dangerous and um, challenging home environments. Um, and the most ironic thing from this study was that some studies have found that the children most likely to um, have an increase in aggressive behaviours due to more hours in childcare are white middle class yes. children. Which is really interesting. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what, what to make of that. I was trying to think how slash why. Look, it's chaos. Um, it was one, I think it was one study. So that could have been why, but they talked about it a lot. So I feel like if it's one study, they shouldn't have talked about it as much as they did. So maybe it was more than one. But it was interesting. It's probably just the most likely um, where they could find an effect. Um, the mm -hmm. most stable population where they could find an effect, where there wasn't intervening variables, so there wasn't other things kind of conflating with it. Um, I don't really know what to say to it, but they didn't find it in the current study. If we scroll down to the results for a second, we'll go back to the other theories that they posed in a minute, but in the results section, it tells you what was related with um, externalizing behaviors, which is your aggression. And by externalizing, it's pretty much exclusively regression. I'd really like to see this with internalizing behaviors. I think it'd be really interesting to see how it correlates with things like anxiety and depression. But so if we look at the table here, this table gives you a um, snapshot in numbers. So maybe not useful to a lot of the normal humans out there that don't look at stats every day. Um, but it gives you an idea across each of the seven studies what actually um, was related with um, aggressive behaviors as a function of um, time spent in center-based care. So in the table along the left-hand side, you've got all of the different variables. So they've got random effects, which is when they compared within children and between children. So they compared children's changes in aggressive behavior within themselves across time, but they also compared across different children. Um, which is not what they did in the fixed effects model. In the fixed effects model, they only compared within the children themselves um, to kind of remove that um, the uh, likelihood that things that they weren't capturing, like maternal mental health and that kind of stuff, um, to try to remove those effects from the analysis. So what they found in the random effects analysis was that um, in uh, one, two, three studies out of seven, maternal education was negatively correlated with um, aggressive behaviours, but there wasn't an interaction between education and quantity of time spent in childcare. So a negative correlation for education means that mothers with lower education um, had children with a higher level of externalising or aggressive behaviours. Um, this is a reasonably well-documented effect in the literature. Um, this, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not, it's, it's not about education. Education is a proxy for socioeconomic status, um, a privilege of access to resources. Um, there's a lot that goes into things that are correlated with education. We just um, used education and income as a proxy for um, where do you sit above or below the poverty line and what opportunities has life afforded you. Um, so 
in comparison, now this isn't the random effect, so it doesn't really remove all of that, all of the variability that could be accounted for by things that weren't measured. Um, but in the random effects model, we have uh, one, uh, one study that shows that the amount of time children spend in daycare correlates with um, the an increase in aggressive behaviours in children. So there was only one study and that study's effects completely dropped out once they put it into the fixed effects model, which was the within participant comparisons only. So removing those confounding variables that they couldn't measure. Um, so yeah, what they found is kind of exemplified in this one table that quantity of time spent in childcare didn't affect it. Education did slightly, but only when they compared within and between children, not when they compared within children only. Um, yes, this section is so very dry. So the one we were saying just before um, is mm -hmm. the prequel study, right? Yes, so prequel. one thing also that I feel was different in terms of the methodology here is that this mm -hmm. prequel study was done on those prequel schools. So it means yeah. that it's one of the few studies where it was more like a group of kids going to the same schools as opposed yeah. to kids going to different schools that are licensed, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would also, you know, give us, like, if you know that the kids are in the same classes mm -hmm. with the same teachers, um, mm -hmm. you get a more comparable sample, I guess. Um, yeah. And I feel like that would be relevant here in terms of this result, like why in this prequel kind of studies you see that. some relevance. Mm. Um, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know if you agree with me because I've been on social media and I don't want to go against all my colleagues because there are so many people who are not scientists that I love and I, they're doing an amazing job, but I'm really tired of people being like, this sample is so small, this sample is so small. For me, <laughs> this... For me, this study really shows that, I mean, and I don't want to go against the, I think it's amazing what they're doing, but also I feel like we really should stop trying to make it the bigger, the better. I feel mm -hmm. like this yeah. is drowning everything. Like, yeah. and we, I think, and we are all kind of in the same journey where we're trying to show people the individuality as opposed to like, what's the best for everyone. And here mm -hmm. we're drowning, like, Everything that these little studies showed is erased by putting all the data together is kind of what I feel. Um, and I think we should give more relevance to the small studies that are like, okay, it's a small study, but this type of kids maybe have these responses or these needs or something like that. Yeah, I agree and disagree simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree that um, small studies that specify a specific population, we need to focus on the effects on that specific population. That's very important. I do, however, disagree that putting all these studies together, because they were already monster studies. Um, and what we know from statistics, from null hypothesis testing, which is what this is, um, is that the more participants you have, the more power you have to find teeny tiny effects. So um, it's the fact that we have found very little effects in all seven of these studies, because they analyze them all individually. So this table is all of them in, analyzed individually. This isn't the meta-analysis yet. Um, shows that even with thousands of children per study, they're not finding those effects, which is 
it's more confirmatory that there isn't an effect of externalizing behavior mm. at the like large larger level um but there could be sure i actually think that there could be for certain children certain families certain situations um but these these studies aren't designed to point to that they're trying to figure mm. out whether we need policy changes around um Childcare. So I think one of the biggest motivations, at least in the US, for exploring this effect of um, time spent in daycare for um, child externalizing behaviors is to go to the policymakers and go, hey, these guys need more maternity leave because, you know, this isn't working for small children. So I can understand why people have been investigating this. It's really important for policy change. But in terms of for informing parents, individually about whether they should put their child in more or less childcare. Right. <clears throat> this isn't helpful because usually parents are putting their child in childcare, not because they think it's going to help their development, they're doing it because they need to. So mm. I think this is where the science and the um, practicability of it diverge. Right. This is for the policymakers. This right. shouldn't be for the parents. So yes, I agree and disagree mm-hmm. at the same That's time. What you mean. But, yeah. That's research in general, isn't it? Like these are yeah, the yeah. findings from all of these studies. But hey, what suits you and your child and your temperament and your life is not going to be reflected mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, but what's going to come Absolutely. out in a press release from such mm-hmm. a study yeah. is, see, don't yeah. worry, you can put your child in daycare however long it doesn't affect them. And then so what yeah. what Kristen was saying exactly, like people are going to be yeah. like, how do you translate that to the population? You don't. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, the problem is I also didn't read the discussion and I didn't read the last two paragraphs, but I don't think, because I fell asleep, but anyway, um, (laughs) I don't think they said in there anywhere about this like individual variation and this unique um, child level effect. And one, it could be because they didn't have space for it. It wasn't on topic, but it could have been a limitation. It might be something that needs to be instantiated more heavily in science. there was but not then much again, about it, no. But then again, media media don't even read the paper anyway. So what's the point? They read the abstract. Yeah, That's abstract. what all the social media people do. They read the abstract. And like anyone who understands science a little bit will go, oh, it's published in child development. That's a huge journal. It's high impact. It's really valuable. Therefore, what they found is important. I'll read the abstract and I'll just take that and run with it. And it's not really that harmful for a study like this that finds that child childcare doesn't seem to increase children's problem behaviours. But if this study had found a different result and found that it had, it would have been a major, major issue, right? It would have been a really big problem if they'd come out and said, you know, um, any number of hours over 20 hours a week increases children's problem behaviors by two instances of biting, hitting, kicking, whatever, a day. Imagine the media release that would have come out if that's what this result would have found. But that would have, been, would, have that would have been politically blocked, no? I mean, I don't know if you guys Maybe? have that much um, experience, but I remember uh, when I was working on a, a project that could affect kind of like the medical field, the, the article was blocked for more than a year because it was like, yeah, that's going to affect the finances of, you know, health interests and stuff in the United States. So I feel like 
that result would have been like, no, we can't release that because otherwise, you know, moms are going to stay home and not go back to work and blah, 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 you know. That's very possible. I mean, that's why preprints exist now too, though, because like if there's something that's getting blocked, like academics can just chuck it up on preprint and like people are starting to learn what preprints are. They're not peer reviewed, but you know, it means that something that's blocked, like what's the thing, the preprint that keeps being an issue right now, the safe sleep. So the SIDS, you guys know the SIDS paper where they found that like, whatever it is, like it's not the acetyl, acetyl, acetyl yes. something cholinesterase yeah. um, is linked to SIDS deaths. Mm-hmm. Whenever I post about SIDS anymore, people are like, why are you bothering? Like, didn't they find that SIDS has a genetic link? Um, so none of this matters anyways. And I was like, oh my God, no. Like <sighs> one, this was a preprint. It hasn't even been done yet. It was a single small preprint that suggested a link um, between like a genetic factor and SIDS, but it, it doesn't, um, you know, it, do- it doesn't mean that you can't all of a sudden just like do anything unsafe sleep wise with your child. This is an additional thing and it's an interesting thing to look at, but it's a preprint and yeah. clearly the media took it as a preprint and ran with it. And it's actually having some pretty significant effects. I didn't think that anyone would like automatically be like, Oh, you know, I don't have to do any of the safe, safe sleep stuff anymore. Um, but it comes out on my Instagram feed six months later and it's like, what? Yeah. So there is dangers with preprints. This isn't a preprint, by the way, guys, this is a fully published yeah. paper in child mm-hmm. development, which is um, the Society for Research in Child Development's um, flagship journal. It is very, very fancy. Um, it is, I have not published in there yet. I've been rejected once, my only rejection ever. That's fine. We'll try again later. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. It's fine. If we that's the it. amount of data you need to get one paper out. I mean, this it is also needs to be trendy. Um, look, it's not that complex. The stats are a think. little bit fancy. No, it's, well, it's legacy data. So one, it's legacy data. It's not new research. So legacy data is data that has been collected previously. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's, it's that say. Yeah, it's, it's a complex topic. You know, there's so many variables and yeah. things that you can't measure, mm-hmm. and things that you really can't quantify. Like it's yeah, it's tricky to sort what, of untangle this web, isn't it? What's really heartening is that this is a null result, that there is no difference and they publish that because usually they don't. What is um, glaringly missing here, though, is that they interpret this null result, as meaning there is no difference and that's not what you can do in null hypothesis testing. So that's a bit of a problem. They probably should have done a Bayesian analysis somewhere in here to go, this is the likelihood that the null hypothesis is true. So a null hypothesis means that there's no difference between groups, um, but they didn't do that. So They mention it at the very, very end of the discussion. Uh, We acknowledge that the absence of evidence is not the same as evidence of absence. Um, Yeah, really just before the conclusion. So I was glad to read that. I was like, okay, finally, you mentioned yeah. <laughs> at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. no one will I go guess. all the way. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I fell asleep before then, but you know, so the, the, the overall metaanalytic effect size is zero, supporting the conclusion that effect sizes do not worry concern over negative effects of ECEC. Um, I just, yeah, I think that it's kind of a cop out because Bayesian analyses are actually kind of easy to do. Like, there are a lot of tools around now. It's kind of a cop out not to do that, to only focus on null hypothesis testing, especially when you're talking about how your methods that you're using 
are so much better, that your analytic take technique is so much better than the studies that have come before you. If you find a null result and you're interpreting it the way that you are, perhaps a Bayesian analysis or even just an interpretation of the confidence intervals is going to give you more um, <laughs> ground to stand on. And I find it really interesting that the reviewers at Child Development didn't flag that because the reviewers at, at the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology flagged that for me the other day. And I was like, yeah, sure, here's my like Bayesian analysis for another effect that has been shown to be significant. And I found that it wasn't. Like, it's not that it's not that much to ask for. Either the reviewers should have asked for it. Like, I don't see, I don't see any influence of the review process on this paper, um, which means it must have gone through quite easily. Because usually, like, you'll see evidence of the review process. People will have added in analyses and said at the request of reviewers. And I would expect out of a paper like this, it finds no results. Um, that there would have been more requests by the reviewers. So either there isn't transparency around it, um, that they didn't report that reviewers wanted a different set of analyses, or they weren't asked, um, which could be concerning because it could mean that the reviewers didn't understand the analysis, and that's why they didn't ask anything, because you can get, way, the way that academic publishing works, you can get reviewers that understand the content but not the analysis um, mm -hmm. because it is a newer, more complicated analysis. Even I really struggled to get my head around the difference between it because fixed effects analyses are essentially just ANOVAs. So basically they did a within participant ANOVA um, and said that that was better than a random effects mixed linear, mixed multi-level mixed model. So anyways, I'm confused. <laughs> Any other comments about this? I wonder then if it was an invited paper or anything because mm, like I've been on an invited paper before that went through mm. very quickly in a really good journal. So, well, lucky is, you. Yeah, so what you're saying is making me think, hmm, interesting. Mine was a qualitative paper, so there wasn't any significant, mm. um, any statistics in that respect. Um, yeah. So it was a bit different to this, but I wonder. Does it, I, I don't know, think they really say cool. No, they don't. I don't no. think it is. I think it's like, I think what's really nice is that all of like, if we go up to the author list, all of mm. the authors collaborated oh. from all the different places, all the different um, samples. Mm. So I think that's really cool. This is like a multinational like study. Like it's just, you know, it's huge. Like how many like countries are in it? You've got Boston College, you've got University of Oslo in Norway, you've got Minnesota. Uh, in the US, you've got Munich in Germany, you've got Frankfurt in Germany, you've got North Carolina in the US, you've got Oslo in Norway, you've got um, University of Utrecht in Netherlands and uh, Montreal in Canada and Bordeaux, University of Bordeaux in France. Like that's it. That's kind of amazing to get that many scientists from that many different parts of the globe together. They did mention, and I w I've never seen that written that way in the methodology or like how they decided to use those studies. They said access to data, mm -hmm. which kind of suggested yeah. to me that they didn't just use the papers, but they actually asked for more data to do. I don't yes. know. That's how it sounded to me, which is oh, also no, where is. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's actually really important. Accessing data is really hard to access. Where is it? I can't find it. 
Um, data is incredibly hard to access, especially when it's legacy data sets. Like there are some data sets in Australia that you can access, but you need to apply for a permission to access it, like the longitudinal study of Australian children, which would have similar data in it. Um, they would have asked to like access these people's data sets and potentially offered co-authorship for the PI, which is probably how we ended up with a multinational author list, which is really interesting. Not a problem. It just means that they're all collaborating together or they're not collaborating so much as they're offering their data in exchange for authorship. You never really know. I don't think that there's a credit statement on this paper anywhere. And credit, for those of you that don't know, is like a rubric of like who, which authors contributed what to the paper. Mm -hmm. Usually on high impact journals, it's required, but I don't see a credit statement anywhere here. And um, the, the lab yeah. head is the one who's in France and Canada, which yeah. is quite interesting. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because they there wasn't any studies in France, so I'm not sure. Yeah. So it looks like, um, well, it tells you about the acknowledgements here. Data from Emigrade and QLSCD are available on Quest um, from the Quebec Institute of Statistics. The German VIX data is publicly available. You can get it whenever you want. Pre-cool data can be accessed upon request from Dutch National Center of Expertise, whatever. Um, bonds data is available on, on request. Um, the NICHD data, which is US data, is available at an archive, which is probably um, mostly publicly available. And then the same goes for the FLP data. Um, so yeah, it's like some of it is publicly available, some of it is gate kept. Um, so it can be a bit tricky to access. Um, so I don't find that clause in the methods section overly surprising. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I think they did okay. I think they did pretty good. Yeah. They acknowledged their limitations for the most part. Yeah. Um, it is a heartening finding. It makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> so the um, made me feel like crap. <laughs> for me the next step and I don't know how mm -hmm. that would work as uh, compared to what you were saying Kristen where I feel like mom needs spare time to be able to manage mm -hmm. their child's em em emotions but I would mm -hmm. definitely want to see a study where they compare kids who go to daycare and kids who don't go to daycare and you know the effect on behavior but is that not what this did this compared children at daycare. Oh no, this didn't. You're right. So this just compared no, the number it's of just, hours in daycare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there have been quite a few studies that have done that, but they maybe there's a meta-analysis on it. Um, I would imagine there must be a meta-analysis on that by now. Um, if not, like I always feel like something should already be out in research, and usually <laughs> it is not. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do know that they did, like, I don't know where it is, I couldn't find it, but they did run an analysis because they were comparing um, just number of hours and they compared children um, in each of the different care settings. So licensed childcare versus non-licensed childcare versus non-parental non mm -hmm, care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and they found no differences there either. Yeah. I just couldn't find the tables and stuff where they did that. They just mentioned it briefly. Yeah, they so. Mentioned it. 
Yeah, but you're right. That is definitely something that if it hasn't been done, needs to be done. But as you were saying, I would expect more behavior problems if the mom is stuck at home 24-7 with the child Mm -hmm. because, you know, then you need to assess the mom's well-being and her level Mm -hmm. of availability for the child. So there's really kind of the two sides there. Um, And I would expect Mm -hmm. the same. For me, it's maybe even more dependent on the child, on the parent rather than the time spent at daycare you know it's like when the child comes out of daycare does the parent have the emotional availability to take care of them or are they still exhausted from a crappy night plus Mm -hmm. you know whoever colleagues messed up their day um and so how do they respond when the child's out of daycare you know and for me personally i'm and that's really just case study but um, if I'm available emotionally for my child, as soon as they come out, as soon as she comes out of school where I'm good and I'm there, then I'll have less problems in, you know, the rest of the day for sure. Yeah, I think that that's definitely where it comes. Uh, there's just so much nuance that this yeah. won't capture. There's a lot, like this study isn't designed for parents um, to figure out whether they should or shouldn't put their kids in daycare. This is for policymakers more than anything. The studies that parents need are the ones that look at behaviors on pickup um or like the parental burnout and the interaction of parental burnout and introduction to childcare. um there's so many different things that parents need looked at um so we need like those little studies that look at those things to inform parent behaviors at the same time as these big studies that inform policies um but yeah, this study doesn't tell us much about what parents should do with their kids. Uh, it just kind of tells everyday parents that if your kid goes to full-term daycare, that it is not They'll contributing okay. to their increase in aggression, <laughs> most likely. We don't know for all children, but we know for the majority of children that that's the case. Is that the vibe we're getting from this? Absolutely, that's the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I think you mentioned it a little bit before, and possibly before I got on the phone call. Um, but yeah, I do worry that policymakers who don't know the science very well will read the broad headline results of this and go, "Oh, we don't have to give parental leave. We don't have to give them support. That's fine. Yeah, they, the kids go to daycare; they'll be fine." Instead of go, taking a step back and going, "Oh, you know, this system is a bit broken for us. Maybe we should be supporting parents more." And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking from the parents' perspective. And policy making yeah. decisions, yeah, what the implications of this is. The science is important and obviously this needs to be published, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's scary when people who don't have a good understanding of science read these things and then they're the decision makers of the world. So, anyway, anyway, it is a bit concerning, especially because this study doesn't look at babies at all um, <laughs> or how um early introduction to childcare impacts on later child behaviors. So this study isn't for the policymakers of maternity leave anyways. Like this is for I don't know who it's for. Um, but it I don't know. It's good and it's bad because it means that like they didn't assess quality. They didn't assess quality of childcare. And that feels like something that should be done to motivate mm. the like investment of more money into childcare um reform and quality so um i don't know the paper on its own is great but what it practically can apply to is very limited yeah anyways all right well that was brilliant we lost laura because she had to go um but that is okay 
Thank you for coming, Emma and Lisa. I will leave everyone's handles in the description thing, wherever this finds you. Um, and I will see you guys next week when we talk about our paper on apologies and what happens when mothers apologize to children. Ooh. I know. New ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys next week. We'll see you Bye. then. Bye.